You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. On Max's Island today, I've got Cynthia Bartolome. Cynthia, welcome to the island. Hello, thank you for having me. Now, Cynthia, just before I do my normal intro, I'd like to let the listeners of Max's Island know that we're in a caravan. This is the first time we've recorded in a caravan, and I know that's special as part of your story coming up, but it's great to have a caravan on Max's Island. It's not the first time this caravan's been on an island. Ah. We took it over to Australia's biggest island, Tasmania. So I look forward to telling you about that. Cynthia, on Max's Island, we love our guests to tell a story about that time in their life when they did something for themselves, maybe went against the grain. Maybe they chose to do something that they'd been wanting to do for a long time and never had the guts to do and did it. Have you got a time in your life where that may have happened to you? Yeah, absolutely. So we had the fortunate pleasure of travelling Australia with the family and it's something that um, my husband did in his early 20s and uh, when we met he said it was one day he wanted to take the whole family to go in a caravan around Australia and it's something I just sort of blew off and thought, yeah, yeah, one day. I, I, I didn't take it seriously, it was just something to say. So what's the whole family look like? So uh, we have uh, two boys. At the time of travel, travel they were... Uh, six and eight and uh, yes it happened that year the infamous COVID year when everyone else was stuck in lockdown we got to escape out of here so at that first time we had to shut down and be at home I realized the thing that always scared me was being away from family and friends because we're such sociable people but I didn't miss anyone at all everyone's just a video call away so there was no reason why I couldn't get away that's interesting that it was um, during COVID. How did you actually get the opportunity to leave Perth? So uh, there was actually no issue in leaving Western Australia. As you all might know, that it was harder to get back in. But by the time we'd done our entire lap, uh, WA had opened right on cue. We spent a lot of time in Queensland, which was 
fantastic. We loved it there. And when we were ready to move on because we wanted to spend Christmas with our friends in New South Wales, their borders opened. And when we were ready to move on, Victoria's borders opened. So it all just magically happened. And the one and only time we got stuck in a lockdown was in Darwin for a week, which was actually a blessing in disguise with all that go, go, go. It was nice to sit back and relax and take that time in. When you were in Darwin in isolation, were you in the caravan? We were in the caravan in a giant caravan park and still allowed to go in the caravan park pool and they had a splash park and the kids had lots of friends. It really wasn't the typical lockdown that uh, others might have experienced. We were very fortunate to have it there. So sitting in the caravan here at the moment, we're parked near the road and there may be some background road noise, which I guess adds to the authenticity because that's what you do in a caravan. You're on the road, you're in public places all the time. When was it that you left Perth? It was April 2021. We had planned to go um, in the beginning of the month and just a couple of days prior when we were going to have a big farewell party, uh, that's when they announced a shutdown. So we missed out on the party and left a few days later saying goodbye over Facebook. (laughs) So on leaving Perth, which way did you go first? So we followed the sun, which at that time of year is going north. And so a clockwise trip around Australia. Because we're from WA and we can do WA anytime, we sort of skip past most of it here to get into Darwin pretty quickly and see the rest of the country. So April, it's early in the school year. So that means pretty much the the two boys have been in school for the first term and then left. Yeah, that's right. So uh, we spoke to the principal and I told him our intentions and he thought it was a fantastic idea. We said, you know, what about schooling? And he said, see some signs, read them. That's English. Count some signs. That's maths. Bang, you're done. But we went a little bit further than that. Um, Because the teachers were used to doing a little bit of online teaching, we got to work on teams. The kids did reports just like their classmates, sent them into their teachers. Of course, not following their curriculum, but the school of life. So when they saw a snake, they'd research all about it and want to write about it and tell everyone. And there were times where we used books from news agencies, but really it was about what they were learning on the road and what interested them, which as parents, I think it amazed us as to what they found interesting, how much they absorbed, what they retained and what they were fascinated about. For example, when we went to Port Arthur in Tasmania, the tour guide gave them criminal personas and let them pretend they lived the life in jail. And that was just so engrossing for them. And they couldn't wait to tell everybody what was like them having stolen a loaf of bread and ended up having to do chores of carting water all day and those sort of things. Did you find that rather than having a set time for them to do their schoolwork, that the that the schoolwork was inspired by events. Absolutely. Things that they saw, as you said, saw a snake and then were able to research that and then do some sort of study around that, which is really quite different to the way kids study most of the time because they you know, go to school every day and there's a time to do math, there's a time to do English. Uh, whereas being on the road, and as long as you've got that education focus, then like you said, a street sign can be part of an education process. Yeah, well, I mean, in the car, we would always yell out multiplication problems and spelling. Um, But it's things like we'd get up in the morning and go on a bushwalk. And for example, we were in Fraser Island and we were walking along the creek of the rainforest and there were the tallest palm trees we'd ever seen before. And so then when we read the placards, 
we learnt that they only exist in this environment to these unique conditions. So that was a geography lesson and a biography lesson. And reading more placards, they talked about the flora and the fauna. So obviously we had those. It was obviously a PE lesson at the same time, but we covered history and arts and culture. And in that same walk, the distance that we'd done and the time we'd taken, there was maths. So it was like seven periods all before breakfast. Boom, that's your day in the school of life. Did you cover that much information before you had your morning coffee? No, certainly not. And, and I suppose they didn't think it was being in class. No, this not at all. This was just fun and it was learning and they were out in the outdoors and away from home and on holiday, but yeah. still learning. And we had to tell them, look, you're on excursion. Today we're going to a banana plantation. You're going to learn how they harvest bananas. And they'd come back with facts like, did you know it's not a fruit, it's a herb. And so now everyone they meet, they have to tell this amazing fact. And other things that, you know, being from Western Australia, we don't have exposure to like cane farms. And we saw them do a, a fire to clear the land and all the animals scurrying out. So these are just phenomenal things in their eyes that they wouldn't have experienced otherwise going on a normal school excursion. Being in the caravan, obviously you were restricted to the amount of things that you could take. How did you find that? And was that actually a bit of a revelation? How easily you could live with very little possessions? <laughs> and was it something that perhaps the boys also um, saw that realisation that they actually didn't need too many things to to live and have a good time? Oh, absolutely. I think if you ask them their favourite things is looking for sticks and making fires. So, yes, we didn't really take anything like that with us. In fact, before we went, we were very conscious about the weight that we were allowed to tow. So we went over a tow bridge and we were, I don't know, 300 kilos over. So we took out one kilo of coloured pencils and I took out a couple of dozens of tomato sauces that my mum makes so yeah it's very interesting what you don't need one of the items that I bought with me which was something that I used every day in my life before going away was my hair straightener and then not once did I use it on the trip because every day we were swimming in the beach and I had no purpose to straighten my hair and it's really funny because after we got back and um, you know obviously we loved our trip and wanted to keep going we just went on a weekend away and I packed my hair straightener because I was back in the form of straightening my hair. And uh, I said to my husband, I've packed my straightener. We don't need anything else. We can keep going and not go home. <laughs> <laughs> what was one of the early highlights in the trip? You know, you said you got to Darwin relatively quickly. Obviously, that's oh. quite different to, to Perth from a climate point of view. Just before we got to Darwin, actually, there was an opportunity north of Broome in Cape Levique where we were visiting the Signet Bay Pearl Farm. And we noticed from the pictures during the tour, one of the Aboriginal elders from the slideshow, and we saw him there on the farm. So we went to go say hello. And just from that hello, he invited us upon to travel with him on his land. So we jumped into our car, followed his four-wheel drive, not on roads that but through scrub, we were wondering where we were going because the scrub was getting higher and higher and uh, scratching up our car. But um, after some time, we came ac across this clearing of a bay where his nephew was camped up. And so just like that spontaneous action of going on a tour with someone we just met, we were invited to stay and that was an absolute privilege. So even though we had our caravan parked back in 
the caravan park. We pulled the tent off our roof and stayed the night. And we learnt that day how to chisel oysters off rocks and we ate them fresh, how to cook them over hot coals, how to do fishing with nets and catch mullet for dinner. And the best part of it all, though, was not the seafood sensation, but listening to the Dreamtime stories that evening. Sitting by the campfire, we heard stories of the seven sisters who turned to stars, the whales that rescued their boats when they fell asleep out in the middle of the night. My kids' favourite story was the one of how the hammerhead shark got its name, and that was because a shark and a seagull used to fight over food and the seagull was sick and tired of the shark always winning that it threw a boomerang at its head and it got stuck in there. So this is the type of experiences and stories that my kids got to listen to and it's those money can't buy experiences that were just the showstoppers of the whole trip. So that's relatively early in the in the trip. That's a massive highlight. After Darwin, did you you went across the top? You said spent a fair bit of time in Queensland. Yeah, so um, we went to Cape York, which is the tip of Queensland, and again, very remote, um, very indigenous country, and we it it really is a privilege to travel on the land and meet people that invite you to you know they want to show you their land they want to tell you their stories and not only of what they do day to day but of their ancestors they want to show you how to track and find food and we learn about tidal movements and then you can see where the tracks of crabs are so you can catch food like um yeah that was pretty amazing just the sites that we got to see because we had the opportunity to go to those remote places for me, I um, really loved the gorges because, you know, you could swim in the waters. It was very hot being summer up there because in the tip of Queensland and a lot of the top is all crocodile infested waters. So you can't go swimming in the beaches like we can here, but it's a whole different level of enjoyment for a different experience. Talking about the interaction with the, the local Indigenous people, and we often think that there is this ownership of the land but as you rightfully pointed out whilst there is custodianship it's about sharing the experience it's sharing the land and you know we all should be encouraged to to go to those places and share those experiences with the locals and really understand what it means to them because then it'll be so much more meaningful for us that's right yes um i remember speaking to one man about had he been to Uluru because I feel that's you know the the heart the centre and he said yes I've been many times but none of the people he met invited him to climb the rock over the dozen times he'd been there and so for that reason only he hadn't done it so it's not about it being a tourist attraction like it was at the time it was about the privilege of being invited to share that experience so we actually didn't go to Uluru on this lap so we have a future lap to make sure that we get to experience it and it's not about climbing it for us it's about seeing nature experiencing this land which every site we saw is a postcard the beaches you know, something like the wet Sundays is paradise and then you have the bush which is red and barren the phenomenal difference that this country offers and I know there's a lot of people out there that don't have the time or the capability to take a whole year off but there's a couple of places I do want to mention that are 
a bite-sized version of the whole of Australia in terms of landscape, and that's Kangaroo Island in South Australia, for example, and Fraser Island in Queensland. They have the myriad of landscapes you can see around the whole country, all the wildlife you can see all around the country, all in that one little spot. And so, yeah, they are a couple of uh, hot tips for anyone planning a short holiday. Now, Fraser Island's got a reputation for its dingoes and dingoes. the dingo population. That's right. Yeah. How did you find it? And you know, we hear, again, well, the only time we ever hear about it is when there's um, perhaps some, an incident, but um, are they that prolific? Um, yeah, they are. And it's very interesting. The ones that we saw, they were digging for fish bones that the fishermen leave behind. So they're not short on food. And I guess people that go there regularly or are told they know how to leave them the food that they require. So they hopefully don't <laughs> attack humans. But I guess it's about um, being smart, of course, and not putting yourself in danger. We actually had over here in Karajini a young couple of tourists that on the way into Karajini, we were stopped on the side of the road for the night before we went in. And they said, can we pitch our tent in front of your caravan? Because we're very scared hearing dingoes. And their tent was not your typical canvas. It was a fly net. And so they could see and hear. We, Being inside the caravan, we could hear all the dingoes all night. And so they told us in the morning they didn't sleep a wink, but they felt safe just being next to us, that they could knock on our door and run on in, which we said they're very welcome to do. We often hear about the travelling communities. Have you been part of a four-wheel drive club or anything like that previously? And did you then experience the travelling community and, and when you arrived in a place because you were towing a caravan, you were able to sort of sidle up against other caravans and all of a sudden you had a reason to, to form a mini community for a couple of days. Not just a couple of days, but weeks on end. I distinctly remember one time where we were put, pulling into a caravan park and you could hear kids yelling, there's bunks. So you can see on the side of the caravan, if there's a couple of windows, that means there's probably kids in there. So, you know, kids know how to find other kids very fast and run up to play with them. So, yeah, um, when we, for example, stopped at the base of... Cape York, you, it's sort of the starting point. There's a sort of a dinner that you can have. And we met two other families right off the bat that said, yep, they're going up and they had swags and they intended to go for nine days. And we ended up spending six weeks up there with them because it was just that fun. And they parked their swags alongside our caravan. We were brave enough to take ours over the rugged corrugations and the dust, but they had the opportunity to take their swags into the deep bush and sleep in places that we didn't get to sleep because we brought our van with us. But the luxury of us getting to stay as long as we could because we had everything we need was amazing. But back to um, the traveling community, the most difficult thing for my husband and I when we returned home, not like our kids who went back to school and played with their friends and played footy and had a great time, was that we returned in winter. And in winter, everyone hibernates. So we found ourselves sitting on our couch in our lounge room every evening watching Netflix when previously all we'd been doing was sitting next to whoever was next to us at the campsite and chatting all evening. So it became strange that being home was suddenly lonely. <laughs> but it's a lesson in that uh, the way that people get into routine and their lives and perhaps the tiresome of work, which we didn't find on the road. At the start of recording this episode, I sort of implied that you and your family 
were only a small group of four that were going away and perhaps that you were going to be lonely or that you were going to be just on your own together. But in fact, you've just said it's a bit of a paradox that actually when you're out there on the road, knowing nobody, all of a sudden you meet everybody. And the first thing that people do is communicate and connect. That's right. And everyone's up for an adventure and they want to share it. So it's more fun doing it with other people. Yes, and so many people that we've met who have come this way have um, stopped in at our place and we've got to spend time with them and want to travel off again with them again. But we know that we'll catch them sometime when we go again. You talked about you know, taking the caravan over some corrugations mm-hmm. and some rough track. How did you go from a just the physical point of view of your four-wheel drive and the caravan? Did it all hold up? So the first experience was Gibb River Road in the Kimberleys and it was perhaps 600 kilometres of corrugation and on that rare opportunity there was a bitumen stretch, you just had this great sigh of relief, of peace, you wanted to get out and kiss the road, it was just calmness. But the fact that we were capable to do it because we had an off-road caravan, my husband was the one that chose the suspension and I got to choose the important things like the interior colours. (laughs) We got to um, experience it all. And then, you know, we saw on the side of the road axles that had fallen off and tails that a tow truck cost $4,000 to collect your caravan. So we took it slow and steady. We were not in a race. But then there's other times where it's best to just fly over the top of them. So um, my husband learned well and I'd say that he didn't give me the opportunity to do those tough tracks. (laughs) And I'm okay with that. From a cost point of view, did it meet your expectations? It was strange. I don't know if it's because of the cost of living when we got back after COVID, but I was shocked at how expensive everything was when I got home because we were fortunate enough to rent our house out. So our bills were covered, our mortgage was covered, and then we had to come back to paying water and electricity. And on the road, we had to pay for petrol. Very expensive. But our peak cost at that time was cheaper than what petrol's going for today. Um, Of course, the second thing is probably food. But when we have an off-road rig like ours, we don't need to spend time in caravan parks because we can park anywhere. There isn't that cost. And yeah, it was a remarkable revelation at it doesn't cost. But I had the opportunity of working whilst I was away. So all I needed to do my job was an internet connection. And I had to go to towns when we were in remote areas. And only once on the whole trip did we not make it to town in time for a meeting, only to find out later that day that that meeting was cancelled or rescheduled. So I was off the hook. But now friends at Travel who have changed to Starlink said, you know, it's a game changer that they can be on any remote beach and keep on working and you can be in the middle of the bush and you don't need to go to town to log on to go to work. So that's all the more enticing to keep on travelling. Yeah, so you mentioned that there's another trip planned. So obviously then the opportunity to work is now a realistic part of that. That's right. And I find that if you're living a life where you feel like you're on holidays, that makes work enjoyable. So after work, before work, the next day, you're going on adventure. So if you're living in that mindset of joy and happiness and you're very lucky like me to have a job that you love, well, going to work is no issue at all. And for me, going to work just means turning on my computer and dialing in. Cynthia, over your right shoulder, I can see a map of Australia. So just quickly tell us where you ended up going and and where you found 
perhaps other interesting things that you didn't expect to find? So we travelled around the whole of Australia's coast and we stopped maybe every three or four days. We only travelled three hours at a time, very careful not to travel during times that were, you know, kangaroo peak crossing hours. We knew we were going for a whole year. We had a lot of time. We also knew that there was restrictions during that time, so we wouldn't spend a lot of time in New South Wales or Victoria who were still having those um, lockdown issues. I think the best days we had were those spontaneous ones where we didn't expect we'd be going there or hadn't planned to go, and go there. For example, Mount Kosciuszko. It wasn't on my list. We just ended up there. It was summer, so you would associate uh, Threadbow, for example, with snow. But no, we did mountain biking. And from that first try of mountain biking, it became our favourite family activity that we did it for the rest of the trip. The other thing about uh, Threadbow was that you catch a cable car most of the way up the mountain, but then there's another 6.8 kilometres of hiking. And being a mum, you're very prepared and you fill your backpack full of lollies as incentives. But my kids were just so excited that the prospect of snow being still at the summit was up there. They practically ran the whole way up and we were like the ones struggling. But um, there was. There was ice at the top. They made snow angels and snowmen and threw it at each other. And it was those unexpected experiences that my kids rave about. And, you know, People ask them, did you go to the Gold Coast? Did you go to the um, theme parks? And they did. They've never mentioned it once that they've been to a theme park, but they've told everyone they've jumped off the boulders in Karajini and at Kakadu. And it's those natural hikes and things that you think that kids would go, oh, that's so long and hard, but that's the adventure that they love. Cynthia, your time on Max's Island, you've shared with us, so many things that I didn't expect to hear and I'm just wondering how did you go as a family being in each other's company for a whole year did at any point in time did you feel like you needed the luxury of home and that perhaps the boys needed a time away from their parents (laughs) Uh, no not at all it was an amazing bonding experience and uh, I feel like when we're home we spend all our time with our own friends or they spend it with their own friends that we missed spending time with them once we got home because when we're out there we're doing everything together and we enjoy their company and I'd like to think they enjoy ours as well. So people are always worried about living in that close proximity of a tiny caravan, but you don't live like that. You live outside. You have the whole world to live in and you basically come inside to sleep. And as I said previously that, you know, we brought a brand new caravan, beautiful interior, very modern. It was a pleasure to go into. So at the times when we did go and stay at our friends' houses around the country and in normal homes, we actually missed it and couldn't wait to go back into what we call our home. Cynthia, thanks for being on Max's Island. Now you have mentioned that there sounds like there's another trip planned. Can you let us in on when that might be? We hope to go away in December and we want to take another year. Uh, The reason is that our oldest son will be starting high school the year after. So we see this as our final chance before the seriousness of high school sets in to really enjoy that 
family bonding time. And this time it's not about the places, it's about that time together as a family, that relaxed lifestyle, to not have that routine of life of getting up, going to school, going to work, but having that luxury that we can work from anywhere. Cynthia, thanks for being on Maxis Island. We will no doubt have you back when you return from the next trip and enjoy and have safe travels. Thank you. We spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur. Oh, work and no play And how, how it had turned out this way He told me his plan A short-term escape Five weeks on the Bibbulmun track Go it alone, no one to blame If he finished or fell by the way sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky, completely alone, no emails or phone and nothing, nothing he needed to do.
sometimes